And we're live with Keith Littlewood. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad. Enjoying the minus nine degrees at, at night at the moment. And it didn't go above zero today, I don't think. But I'm enjoying the cold weather, which is a good sign. It, it was five degrees a few days ago. And I was like, man, it's cold outside. <laughs> I bet for Mexico, it doesn't. Does it ever snow in Mexico? Probably not. I, I looked up for San Miguel de Allende. It had a record of snowing at some point, but uh, I don't think it snowed recently, maybe in the last five or 10 years. You know, it's probably uh, when the asteroid hit yeah, there, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I've been starting all the streams since Ray passed with, um, I mean, we, I, I, I think I said this the last stream, but I think of you as like an original Ray person. It was like Emma Sarakis, myself, Rob Turner, and a few of us were talking about Ray maybe in like 2000, even maybe 2000, I, dude, my timeline is all mixed up. I think it's like 2010 or 2011. It, yeah, I think around about there. Yeah, that's certainly, I think... Yeah, 2009, 2010, maybe. I, but again, I didn't really kind of go into it till 11, 12, started going into it properly with, with any debt. 12 seemed like a big year. Like, I, I remember that picking up and, and people uh, getting more into him, but and, do, and people asking for interviews and things like that. But it seems like a lifetime ago to, to think back to them. Yeah, and so much time has passed, and obviously so much has passed. So much has happened all that time as well. Um, I just, uh, you know, obviously recently with Ray passing, I, I was actually in Belgium just about to sit down for a meal after a couple of Belgian beers with a friend in Bruges, and I kind of went, oh, my God, Ray's done. He's like, who's Ray? I'm like, well, just like, <laughs> he, he tried to explain to someone that's not in this kind of field of work. It's kind of difficult, but you go, it's like someone who has such a big pull on my life to be in the trajectory where I am now. And I wouldn't be kind of even thinking about that stuff if it wasn't after a metabolic typing course where the instructor said, you should really check out this guy, Ray Pete. <laughs> well, you, I mean, we're connected forever, I think, because you were the one that told me that it happened. I, I checked my Instagram and it, I had saw that message from you. I, I can't even remember what you said, but you're like, I'm sorry for the, maybe the, sorry for the loss or something. I was like, I, I knew something instantaneously, like my, my heart sunk. And I was like, man, I, I know something bad has happened. And because that we talked about it in the stream, but those two months leading up to that day, it seemed off. Like people were emailing yeah. me saying, Hey, I, I communicate with Ray every single week and he's not returning any of my emails. And I was like, it's, it's kind of normal for him not to return my emails, but I was like, these, <laughs> yeah. these, these other people, that must be a problem. And so, uh, yeah, dude, that was, that was brutal, really hard. Uh, I think it was really, I mean, I'd, I'd sent something and I'd e emailed Eric a couple of times and I said, have you heard from Ray? He's not done. It was weird because I'd usually check out his, 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 uh, his call in with Patrick Timponi and he hadn't done one for a couple of months. And that for me, that was like, something's not right. And, um, I, I had, it was really weird because that week, right up until the Thursday, when, when I kind of saw something, I had, I was feeling so off, so sad. I even said to my wife, I said, is there something up between us at the moment that I don't know about? I just, I can't put it on. She's like, no, you're kind of imagining things. I just, I feel, feel, feel so off. And, you know, lo and behold, something had happened and it was, it was kind of weird to, to experience that. And I guess not so weird in the, in in the cosmological kind of sense but you know it, it, yeah it's i think it's a big loss and i i do think that you know you've seen a couple of people kind of jump on and say oh he's no you know i think it's garrett smith already going oh you're vitamin a toxic <laughs> toxicity and you know it's like yeah dude if you disagree then choose your timing it's like it kind of shows a lot about the person when you're kind of jumping on someone's bandwagon straight away and yeah. saying that yeah if, um, if you can't say anything nice don't say anything at all i could i don't like that guy at all. yeah <laughs> 
um and i just yeah i just think it's it's still i mean for those who've been reading him for a while and kind of taking the time to understand his work will will kind of realize that his kind of words will live on longer than us probably yeah there was a caller uh he's my a buddy of my name joey and he said the if there is a silver lining in all this stuff it's that ray could become way bigger in death than he ever was in life and and, and it's crazy because he was like already a living legend you know like he's already yeah. kind of this mysterious guy you know in eugene oregon <laughs> and 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 now that he's passed away yeah i mean you can already feel it like the, the the week after it already seems like there's a level of interest that wasn't there before and so right but but I, I guess with that becomes the possibility that his work is heavily diluted in, in some way. And so, I mean, I guess there's a good and bad to that. And so um, I, I guess that puts the responsibility on everyone uh, because people people were telling me on calls like, oh, you uh, you and Georgie are now the guys. And I, I don't think of it like that at all. It's like the, the responsibility is dispersed through through all of us to, to, to keep the to keep the succinct message alive, you know. It's not. It's not yeah. like one person has become right because that's impossible, you know. Yeah, I think it's a collective, isn't it? There's so many people who kind of uh, uh, kind of have an idea about what 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 he said, and um, I think there are probably still lots of holes to fill. And I'm hopefully, kind of trying to do the best that I can with what I'm doing. Um, but we'll see what happens. Ask me in five five and a half years. Yeah. Well, let's re- reminisce a little bit. What what remember 2012 and Facebook and what, what was that? Do you remember that time? What was that like for you? I, I, it was really interesting because I I'd still was still in that kind of holistic model, you know, the Czech Institute, sugar is bad, there are four white devils, you know, sugar, salt, flour, milk, you mustn't consume them. I was still there was still a tail end of that. I was still trying trying hard to shake that off around about 2011 and 12. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even even the sugar issues were still am I doing the right thing here? Is is this kind of, and and then it was just kind of, it drawed you into the complexity of biology. And I think it was a good place to be because it felt like you were starting from scratch again and you were just trying to, you know, rub away all the kind of deep grooves that certain types of education had left in you. And there was still obviously the mainstream medical stuff going, still talking, you still had doctors going, you shouldn't eat fruit because it would cause diabetes. And if you have diabetes, you shouldn't eat fruit. So it was quite, quite good to, to, to be at that stage where you almost felt like you were starting again in, in biology. And I think when you went back and looked at some of the basics, you went, Oh yeah, of course that, that makes perfect sense. And um, then it was kind of like learning some of the, the, or not learning, but looking away and reading some of the references that Ray was talking about, you know, I was exposed to St. Georgie for the first time, Gilbert Ling, uh, Hans Selye, not so much because everyone was talking about the gas response before. Okay. Uh, but, you know, even the older researchers like Walter Cannon um, and then Lamarck. And I kind of been reading some really good stuff on Lamarck, which I kind of, for me, when you start looking at Lamarckian problematics, I think it kind of really hits the nail on the head. And then you can start to kind of entwine Darwin's ideas. And and Ray was the kind of the first person to mesh all of these amazing references together, whether it's Katharina Dalton, um, who's influenced my work with working with clients so much and yours as well, no doubt. And, you know, all of these other people uh, and just reading his books. And I, I, I've actually sat down for the new year to read all of his books again, just to go through them, because there's always a gem that I've missed. Uh, and somebody, I remember you know, just a few years back going, somebody put something and they'd only just picked it up. Right? I went, I never got that the first time. I just, it just didn't, didn't appear to me because I was so focused on something else like thyroid or sugar or something. And there was, again, there are these, just these gems to get out there. And I think anybody who's not, you know, 
unfortunately got to read his his newsletters in the past didn't re- i don't think they really understood what ray was about because they didn't see the the level of complexity he was drawing on sure there were the, the ones that are on the website uh, and they appealed to a few of the you know general topics of the time dairy uh, sugar um estrogen as well and i just i just think it's uh, it's it was great how he brought all of that together and made it accessible for a lot of people and that's where i think 2012 was for me and i think i think you know those years afterwards and you know i think you know like you said you said rob turner um I mean, Eric Lapine, obviously yeah, Eric Lapine, a, yeah. a, 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 a big force in kind of getting his his uh, I think getting his information out there understood reasonably well when people were going, oh, but that's yeah, he says this and then Eric would go, right, he'd combine everything really succinctly and go, well, there's that information, go and look at that. And I think he did a great job when he was on Facebook of of, of kind of pr- providing some some congruence and cohesion around his ideas. Yeah, you remember Cliff McC- McC- McCrary? He was like the surfer dude, young guy. Like I owe a lot to him and then Karen MCC as well. Like, uh, cause I, yeah. I didn't understand almost anything Ray was saying philosophy wise and, and they broke it down for me in a way that I would have never uh, understood. But yeah, Eric Lapine, um, Rob Turner, Emma Sarakis, uh, probably t- man, uh, th- th- people in like 30 people, Facebook groups. I remember really spoon feeding me and h- helping me understand even the tiniest details about, it. like, I didn't even know what like glycolysis was like when I got into it, I was like, what is Ray Todd? Like, what is this? I, 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 I was like, oh man, you're gonna have to learn things that you find to be really difficult and, and hard to understand. And it was, uh, really painful, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then the one other question, what, with the sugar stuff, how, what was your like trigger? What was the thing that you made you think that he was onto something? I think really kind of the ideas around diabetes and perhaps potentially overfeeding sometimes to get sugar into the system. I found that really interesting. And the idea that there wasn't enough sugar going into the cell. Um, and I, I think when you started going back and then looking at some of the mechanisms about for, for me now and, and looking at some of the research that I'm looking at, it makes perfect sense that when energy is not flowing through a system, you're going to see glucose being elevated. And again, it's like you see lots of people. I mean, I think it's almost like the, the just like Francis Crick's dogma about DNA only flowing to, sorry, DNA flowing to RNA. I think the low carb ketose kind of dogma is cholesterol values don't matter but but blood glucose levels do matter yeah, and it's yeah. like well you can't it's not a one-way street you kind of have to kind of look at everything that kind of drives that response and i think when you start looking at what interrupts glucose physiology and stops it being used i think that's where, you, where you're onto something but everyone keeps going around the symptom chasing you know okay we've got to get glucose down well if you stop eating glucose your your values are going to go down because on a keto diet or on a low carb diet then and it's like, yeah, but not for everybody, they're not going to respond beneficially and they're not going to restore that pathway. So you come back to eat carbs again and, oh, my God, your glucose levels are going up and you're starting to feel crap because you can't process it. I mean, yeah. it's like they were the kind of the main things that got me thinking about, well, how do you restore glucose use? Not just keep focusing on the idea that glucose is elevated. You know, look at the, the pathways that are broken down. Look at the loss of pyruvate. Look at the elevations of lactate. What, where, where do these problems get interrupted and how can we solve them? And I think, you know, looking at some of the endocrine disruptors, I mean, I've looked at hundreds of papers over the last couple of years. In fact, probably over the last year alone, I've looked at hundreds of papers of specific endocrine disruptors and how they how they disrupt glucose physiology and how they disrupt, most importantly, thyroid physiology. And, you know, why these kind of what Ray always talks about, why the TSH test is completely 
it can be completely useless. And even, you know, in a, in a bunch of other tests, it can still be completely useless um, just because there are so many blocking mechanisms of TSH and, you know, rerouting mechanisms and, you know, even altering of set points that can that can occur when there's gestational exposure of these environmental pollutants. So I like the idea of, of not looking at, at those, that symptom of high glucose, which still so many people look at. Yeah, like a holistic uh, holistic picture of not just looking at one variable. And like, for, for example, what you said, the TSH can be low or it can be high and a person can have hypothyroidism. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and maybe taking those old markers like the pulse and temperature is possibly even more meaningful than these interpretations of lab work. Yeah, and I think you always you still kind of have to explain to everyone that they're, they're crude, but they're very, very useful right. because – you know, yes, there are same in the same mechanism that temperature can be, it can be masked by certain stresses. You can usually see that change when you implement dietary strategies, and perhaps the you know, and that's something you're going to see relatively quickly. Those changes are going to usually occur if that's the right mechanism. But with TSH, it can still take potentially years, you know, to be to come up to where it should be into that kind of Francovert state. And this is why, you know, I think those researchers like Barry Durant-Peatfield and and David Derry were spot on. And yet they they still paid the ultimate price for for kind of using their brain. Uh, you had said something earlier about the um, I, I remember being low carb or possibly even carnivore. And somebody had sent like a, a maybe they put a, their, a reference on their blog that said uh, high levels of non-esterified free fatty acids are elevated long before uh, hyperglycemia ever becomes present. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I couldn't, I couldn't understand that at all until I got into race stuff. And I was like, oh, it's like the free fatty acids are blocking the use of glucose and the stress systems yeah. are liberating the free fatty acids. Therefore, you should mm. increase your thyroid function if you're worried about this, this like high yeah. blood sugar. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, so, okay, so what, what, what do you think are some, uh, you want to talk about your work? You want to go into people really wanted us to talk about thyroid stuff, but I do want to talk yeah. about pollution. I want to talk about what you're doing in the lab right now. Uh, sure. Yeah. Floor, yeah. floor uh, is yours on the subject. Well, I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm certainly I'm the rookie in the lab. I'm, I'm probably the oldest person in the lab by the the, the, the professors. Uh, most of my the PhD colleagues are kind of half my age and looking at oscillations in cancer, uh, phys, oscillations in calcium physiology, uh, and and cancer and and things like this. And I kind of walked in, and the only person that's looking at thyroid. I have a colleague who's from Thailand who's looking at estrogen receptors as well. So he's doing. We're we're kind of working together. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I've never, all these guys have done masters and stuff where they've been in the lab and I'm literally like, I, I've just been going in the lab. I've been making kind of cerebral spinal fluid, doing mouse, uh, uh, sacrifices and dissections, taking the brain into certain slices and, you know, keeping it kind of functional with like certain chemicals like RNA later. So we can read the RNA uh, as it comes out later. So I'm in, I'm in the lab again tomorrow. I've been asked to take liver slices and, and dissect and, and store these up for future use. And it's like, yeah, sure. I can do that. I've only been shown once, but yeah, I'll be, I'll be fine with that. Um, and, and it's quite interesting. I, I quite like the fact, I think I posted about it as well. It's like, yeah, I'm just making artificial cerebrospinal fluid. The, the main components apart from water in that are, are, are vitamin C, glucose, and uh, sodium chloride. I can't see a fatty acid in there. But, you know, it's like we, we want to keep the brain alive and take it out of shock. 
not alive, but take it out of shock. So it's kind of still left. So it's able to be read and being used for slices. So we've been doing that. Um, and next, next, I kind of start on the cell line last year. I've, I've really been looking at, um, a meta analysis in over the effects of certain pollutants. And, and, and one thing we found was that, um, uh, brominative flame retardants have a real interesting effect on, on thyroid physiology. Uh, the, the older kind of pollutants that like the, the Deckers and the, the Penta brominative flame retardants, like your BDEs, they're persistent that they've been banned, but they're, they're, they, they're around in the environment still. There's so much of them still around. And what's interesting about those is they have a, an effect on the thyroid receptor. They, they have a very similar ligand binding. So they can bind into the receptor and block the receptor from functioning properly. You, you still get your genomic effects, you know, your kind of metabolic effects or heat effects from, from T3 as an example. But these flame retardants are quite interesting. And so what I'm dialing down on is a specific flame retardant to look at to see how it disrupts it. So we're going to be looking at applying this and hopefully looking how a, a T4, or T3 combo compares to a T4. Um, now, what's interesting about the, the newer flame retardants, DBDPE, they were said that they were non-toxic and weren't causing problems, which is like what they all do with everything, right? Yeah, we have, you can apply that to the kind of mass formation psychosis that's gone over the last two years. Yeah. Safe and, effect, safe and effective doesn't do anything. <laughs> um, and then the same with the same with with big industry and, and flame retardants as an example, is that the, these flame retardants they don't seem that they might not have the same uh, molecular binding because they don't have a hydroxyl bond and they don't they don't affect the, the binding domain as such. But what they have been found to do is to kind of disrupt thyroid physiology around the axis, but also seems to have a very strong cardiovascular effect where it will um, cause endothelial damage. Um, it will uh, cause the thyroid receptors to be increased and decreased. It will kind of uh, appear to have this kind of thyroid effect over time. Uh, so the idea is perhaps to, to look at those. Um, there are some interesting stuff where they've done it in C. elegans, and it's shown that they've almost induced like a, a, a an, an Alzheimer's-like state. They've affected kind of, obviously, when you're assessing C. elegans, that the movement is very different to humans. So you're making a very large jump by saying that the, the, the movement is affected, but the head thrash test, the wave cycles of, of the worms, they're distinctly changed compared to say um, uh, what you would see normally. And the other thing is it seems to um, cause like a, a deposition of uh, increased beta amyloid. So those folded proteins were kind of oligomerize and cause their aggregate in the brain and kind of be associated with this lack of glucose use in the brain. Uh, and also it decreases the amount of transthyretin. So as we know, transthyretin is a, is a potent carrier. It's a, it's a, it's a second main largest carrier of, of thyroid and particularly in the human brain. Um, the relevance being between rats and, and humans or rodents and humans, that it's the main thyroid carrier. So it, there's, there's some, certainly some carryover from that mammalian, mammalian physiology. So that's kind of the stuff I've been looking at. We've just been dialing into to which, which one we're going to validate for the study. And the other thing I've been looking at recently as well is what happens because, you know, a lot of these studies, they look at very specific endocrine disruptors and how it disrupts the thyroid. Um, and but they don't really combine it with the other kind of nefarious stuff. So I thought, well, what happens if we could get like something like a, a pesticide and combine that with a brominated flame retardant? Um, because that could be quite interesting. And if you look at glyphosate, it's got quite interesting thyroid disrupting characteristics. Um, it can affect thyroid physiology. It can, can affect uh, 
what's going on in the brain. It seems to induce osteoporosis in rodents. It, so there's some, certainly some uh, bone morphology issues there. And it certainly seems to kind of perhaps lend itself to the breakdown of glucose use as well. So what happens if you combine two of those at a low dose? That could be quite interesting to look at. And does it make them hypothyroid? And can you resolve that? Um, unfortunately, what we've got to start looking at doing is how many groups of uh, subjects can we look to do that in? Because otherwise it gets quite complicated. So I'm going to have to be quite specific. Um, and I think the interesting stuff about glyphosate is it seems to disrupt um, iodide physiology or iodine physiology. So iodine, uh, it's a zwitter ion. So it tends to um, have a kind of positive and neutral kind of ion um, charge. And what happens is that's relatively new. It tends to be relatively neutral, but at different pHs, it seems to combine with these kind of minerals and metals. So one thing it might be doing is stopping iodide uptake or combining with iodine and glyphosate, becoming an iodine and a glyphosate. Now, what they don't know in the studies yet is whether that's just kind of evacuated out by a you know detoxification pathways, um, or it goes up to the um, thyroid gland as iodine glyphosate. And we know that kind of thyroid cancers are, are heavily increasing. Um, they're very common. Interestingly, zipping back to the, um, the brominated flame retardants, there are some studies where they've got thyroid cancer patients and they've got them to wear kind of these um, wristbands at the, ha the house. And one of the most common thing that they found from dust and touching stuff in the house is that brominated flame retardants are very dominant on these wristbands. So it could be that the kind of pollutants that you get in home, particularly in your standard home, you know, there's flame retardants everywhere. Could the ingestion or the, the inhalation of these compounds be associated or even causative in the increases in thyroid cancer? So I, th I think that's quite interesting. I, I, I'm not too sure yet if, you know, the glyphosate, maybe there might be a need to increase more iodine. That could be something that could bypass that. Equally, increasing more thyroid hormone would be a, 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 a useful strategy as well. So they're the kind of things I'm looking at. Um, it's been interesting because I'm a statistically illiterate person, but I'm, I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> I, I hate it. I spoke to Eric as well. He said, God, I hate statistics as well. And I said, yeah, I do too, but I kind of need to have this to get through this. So I have been having some coaching with a friend who was helping me out and she's kind of helped me to get through there. And I'm, I'm kind of getting there that the meta-analysis is, uh, going to be started. I've got to write up a report next year. Uh, which we'll see if that might get published. We'll see, but uh, I've got a bit of work to do for that yet. And then starting the cell lines and then move on to, to rodents um, in the next year or two. That's amazing. You you answered some of the questions that I was going to ask you, but I mean, when you're talking to somebody, you ever suspect like their their bed is making them sick or their sheets or their couch and things like that? I mean, that's really often not talked about that that could be a potential aggregating uh, aggravating factor for hypothyroidism or just general inflammation yeah i don't think some of the environmental stuff and you know you know doctors doctors aren't interested in that they've got you've got your symptom you've got the disease they want to treat it you know there's never any kind of uh it's always reactive medicine isn't it there's no proactive stuff and this is where people kind of get interested in kind of the health sphere about what can they do and then they go to the other end and go totally mental about it and yeah. it's like what can i control i have to control everything yeah. nothing bad is getting through uh, um and it just doesn't it's you know, sometimes you end up with partial neurosis which is i think what everybody had when they were doing low carb initially that's why um, i, I so push I, back on that and try to surround myself with as much emf as possible so that's what i'm right. doing here <laughs> yeah well, that's that's okay i think well you can always buy into the hormesis right <laughs> 
Um, and I, you know, it does become un- unavoidable. And I think when you get all those things converging, whether it's EMF, air pollution, you know, food pollution, uh, it becomes it becomes impossible. You you can't control everything, but I think there are certain things that you can do. I mean, we don't have a uh, a friendly bed. We got one recently. We just moved home and and bought a new house, and you know the the cost of the house, you know everything else. And I think I got some kind of poisoning because we had carpets that have been in 20 years with kind of rotten rubber underneath which was kind of probably all covered in bfrs and kind of you know there are points in your life where you're going to have to deal with this and sometimes you will get sick but you'll if you're kind of if you're in the the right place and know what to do i think you can kind of rebound back um but yeah i don't think there was enough paid on that it was just and, and you know life for, for con- consumption is usually surrounded by all of these things that are cheap and easy to make uh and i you know whether it's kind of christmas toys coming up or you know furniture um yeah i think there are things you can do buying leather sofas for as an example but still inside of that you are going to have treated kind of uh soft stuff and lining and things so i think it's kind of trying to be pragmatic and relatively realistic and almost going back one thing i did learn from the czech institute was that 80 20 rule if you're kind of doing 80 percent of the time right you can get away with 20 percent. and i think that should be that's a reasonable kind of uh, theme to abide by i was actually looking to get a carpet in this space just to deaden the sound on the floor and yep. I, th- I think a normal carpet would have been like $400, like a, a good one. And the one that was organic and had no chem- chemical flame retardants was, I think, two grand. <laughs> and yeah. so I was like, oh, my God, this is so expensive to purchase this stuff. But, you know, would a good uh, rule of thumb be that if you could smell it or something was like off-putting about the smell, do you think that would be like a good test to say, hey, maybe I need to do something about this couch? Yeah, do, do you know what? Do you remember that the, there's a really good blood chemistry book out called CBC Analysis by Dick and Weatherby? I might have it. Yeah, I might have it in my notes. Yeah, I think it's one of the first books I started out with blood tests. And I, I started doing his functional medicine course back in, I don't know, 2008, 2009 or something. And he had he had the, on this one video, this one thing that stuck out. It said, if you can smell it, it's already in your bloodstream. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. If it's like getting into a new car that's overpowering the plastic, so I'd always buy a secondhand car and never buy a brand new one. Uh, I think it's like you know, I think it's very, very relevant. Um, obviously, the particles become very, very small at that level. But again, if it's it's if it's like a convergence of all of these things, and then it's in a physiology that's kind of at a breaking point, I think it's 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 very, very relevant. And um, like I said, the carpets. You, you know, we got we put wooden floors down downstairs and we've got carpets upstairs and we went for like 80 percent wool because the, the difference is like between the 100 percent wool. And then uh, the, then you've got the standard carpets, which have no wool in as well. So you kind of you, you compromise on things that are, that you're able to compromise on. So, yeah, I think I, th- I think the smelling thing before I digress too much is, is very relevant. Uh, last question about this. What, what is, have you messed around with negative ion generators at all? I, years ago, no. I asked Ray about um the best uh, air filter for the room. And he sent me a link to Mystic Marvel's negative ion generator. Uh, that that guy doesn't make them anymore, but there's a company called Wine, W-E-I-N, that makes them. And, and right. so, But the, the, the reports from a lot of people, and in my own experience, if a room smells bad, you can put one in it, and it will basically change the the smell of the room completely it's really 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 wild. wow yeah that, that's quite good yeah i mean we, we kind of just had to rip carpets out because there was a smell just get rid of it and air the air the room out but yeah i think i think air i was just uh with someone 
consulting with someone in, in Dallas yesterday. And she said, you know, the things I said, well, you're living in a polluted area. The, the, one of the easiest things that you can do is your, your home is a cocoon. That's where you regenerate when you're kind of coming home to sleep and stuff. So make sure the, your home is that you can do enough. And I think the air quality, water filter, not going too mad on your kind of, you know, high brominated flame retardant things and, you know, reducing that smell. They're all relevant for sure. Awesome. Okay. Uh, well, uh, we can talk more about your work in the laboratory because it's very interesting and a personal experience, or I can barrage you with thyroid questions or what? Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, any, any of those. I think also, do you know what? Something that's really interesting as well that I've kind of seen is that, or looking at the research, and I think it always comes back to raise ideas on PUFA and omega-3s is the idea of pyroptosis induced by omega-3s. Um, and if you, I, I was looking at some research the other day about pyroptosis, and if you look at it in the papers, that all the ones that flag up underneath, it was like cadmium-induced pyroptosis, lead-induced pyroptosis. And then omega-3s kind of pitch slightly differently. Omega-3 enhanced pyroptosis enhances chemotherapy uh, to get better outcomes. And I still think is, I think that thing of what, what I think that's still going to be very, very relevant is that that small excess of omega-3 is, is it can be disastrous, um, I think, for the cell in the long term. And I think the ideas about pyroptosis and how this kind of inflammasome or kind of high inflammation mediated cell death, that's not particularly friendly, it's just like it's degradation of the cell, it's almost like cell necrosis, is enhanced when there are high levels of pollutants, like the metals, for example. And I think you, you start to see this breakdown, in, in, I think it's induced by caspase, which would kind of be the signaling molecule. There are other kind of things like nod-like, uh, I think they're called nod-like protein receptors, which initiate caspase, which basically break down the cell for destruction, not in the beneficial way like apoptosis does and how it's kind of like, you know, the the ongoing process of autophagy that that, that is thyroid mediated. I think when you start to get and these the, the, some of the research researchers have pitched it as, uh, you know, omega threes have been touted as these wonderful uh, molecules that are going to help to kind of cure, but there is a very easily achieved point of damage that can be occurred here, and I think that's quite interesting to to kind of keep looking at that because again i think omega-3s are still touted as this wonder wonder nutrient that everybody should be taking and i i still think that you know their their influence on the thyroid gland potentially uh throwing t4 off uh off uh you know the thyroid carriers i think this is quite useful to keep considering um so yeah i just thought i just wanted to well, that might be interesting. I'm a little bit of a dummy. Is pyroptosis different than apoptosis? Apoptosis is altruistic suicide, right? So what, what's the difference between the two? So uh, it's mediated by high, uh, very high levels of inflammation where the cell ends up not being able to control that well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the, it, it goes that way. And increased pyroptosis is, is, is potentially very damaging, mm -hmm, whereas apoptosis tends to be relatively organized and mm -hmm. coherent. Uh, and I think... Ah, got it. It's, it's uncontrolled de cell death, right? Yes, yeah, got yeah. It, got it. and that can that can, that can be kind of it 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 depends. There could be a level of that where it's quite useful, but at the same time, it tends to be unrestrained and tends to go overboard very quickly. Wasn't the characteristic of that that it's in, uh, causing inflammation to neighboring cells, like the release of ATP and iron and all the cell guts is uh, causing inflammation or uh, in the vicinity of the cell. Yeah, I think it could always be like you'll probably see it in advanced state states of sepsis as well. 
So you'll see lots of damage, you'll see lots of byproducts, you'll see lots of bystander kind of events going on where other tissues are damaged as well. And I think, it, it, again, it would depend on, on how much is there. But it's a bit like, I think, the use of where they're using omega-3s to induce this, this pyroptosis. It's like, literally, you're making the cell leakier. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're putting big holes in, in the cell, yeah. uh, causing it to leak. And everyone would go, well, membrane fluidity. And I know, like, not membrane fluidity. It's a leaky cell. Yeah. And you're, you're basically making it leakier. So, so you know, the, the, the chemotherapy can flow into the cell and, and damage it further. So it's like it's, it's basically just outflanking, you know, the, the cancer cell with, with a, a two-pronged approach. So I think it can be quite damaging. Were you on the receiving end of anybody uh, telling you they're taking cod liver oil now? And what do you think about it? Uh, I try not to get involved in all that stuff. I mean, you know, there's so many people. <laughs> or are you, more of your, your clients, like, were they, did you have to talk anybody off a ledge or anything? <laughs> I know. I just, some people say, I say, well, if you want to take cod liver oil, you know, take it in small doses, make sure you're getting your vitamin E in, you know, um, so that it's not, I don't, it's not something I recommend, but, you know, kind of people that you see, you usually see people coming in with a list of supplements and you know who they're following. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's, it's quite easy. And I'm trying not to fall into that trap with supplements that I sell because I don't really advertise my supplements apart from a bit on the Instagram page and stuff. If you want it, get it. And it's like, it's the same with kind of my uh, clients to say, where can I get them from? I said, well, I sell them, but I don't care if you buy them from me. You can get them from anywhere you want. But I think that the, the argument around um, uh, cod liver oil, it's, you know, it's kind of uh, people, people keep changing their minds on things. Um, I, I still think... Uh, caution is, is mediated on those well like we're kind of talking about here it's good to have a foundation you know like when, when i was religious my pastor used to say danny if you stand for nothing you'll fall for anything and i kind of think about that in the terms of the health world if you don't have a solid foundation for what makes a person healthy or what makes a person sick you're just kind of like a bag in the wind and you're just like blowing from like idea to idea and it's just it's just yeah. a, it's a bad place to be especially as a consumer because you'll end up spending $70 on a cod liver oil bottle here and $80 on something here. And it's just, uh, I, I think the, one of the things I appreciate about Ray so much is he has like this non elitist view of health and where yeah. some pasteurized milk in an egg and some orange juice could improve a person's health and it would cost, cost $6 or something. So, yeah. 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 I think that's great. And it's, you know, you still get so many people going, yeah, everything I eat is organic. It's raw milk. It's like, that's fine. And if it's working for you, great. But, you know, you don't always have to kind of have that approach. Yeah. And you're right. It was very refreshing. One other thing that you said, uh, you're probably actually doing a service to people in Europe because whenever I talk to people, I'm like, oh, yeah, you'll have to import it from the US. And if you want to buy B1 or something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's probably just logistically more. Uh, I mean, you're making things that are available that are hard to obtain, right? Um, I'm not sure how hard they are to obtain. I, I mean, I've got a supplement uh, uh, provider who've got a really good reputation, and I kind of went to them. Uh, they kind of cocked up my last order. I went to try and organize a high-dose thiamine, and I got 150 bottles of, of something that wasn't that high-dose, so we're working on the high-dose <laughs> one now. But it's, it's good quality stuff, and what I've tried to do is be kind of not – not go too much and you know what drives me mental is seeing people they 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 buy little capsules of like when i first started looking at teening for an example you know i got it and it was in a capsule and you got like 40 grams and it was like 20 quid and you know i think you know get 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 it in pouch form so people can buy as much as they can and it's relatively it's relatively cheap compared to everybody else and i think a lot of the supplements should be cheap and economical for people and i don't think people should be spending an arm and a leg so i just want to be provide 
you know, supplements that are kind of accessible and, and don't break the bank, to be honest, and a good quality. And I think that's what you, you, you know, you need to, to, to offer people. Sure. You can get people that want to make a, a, a huge killing from supplements, but I'm not in it for that, to be honest. Yeah. And I, I had to do that because I realized that taking six years of my life off and giving 50% of my week to, to, to do this PhD is, I, I just don't have as much time as I used to have to do consults or even just roll out new material anymore. It's I, I I'm kind of strangled for time. I feel like that when I'm taking care of the chickens, I'm like, I have no time for anything now. <laughs> right. Maybe, maybe chickens next to you wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> that's a, that's amazing. You're the only, one of the only people I believe when you actually, when you say that about the supplement stuff, what, uh, uh, but we can move on after this, but what were some of the pitfalls? Was it hard to, for your vision of like a B vitamin supplement, was it really hard to make that come to fruition where you're like, no, you can't do this or you have to make it this way. Like what, was that just a ratness? No, I, I just wanted to look at what was reasonably absorbable, uh, and you know what 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 was in the physiology that showed that it was kind of generally the the, the most common forms of being uptaken. I looked at some of the synthetic stuff that's made in the states, and actually we can't make it over here. It's like uh, ben Benfer, benfothiamine, as an example, just can't. It's not you're not allowed to use that. So I looked at something like thiamine pyrophosphate, which is easily absorbed and you know uh, very well tolerated. And I just I just went for simple things that I didn't have to kind of really spend you know months and years of research doing to get this kind of you know on a on a pedestal supplement that that's bathed in gold i just wanted basic stuff that we we could use and turn around quickly and like the the the, the b complex without the b12 for example it was just like going to to a company that made really good ones and say, I want this without a B12. And it was, you know, easily made. I still get a lot of people going, you know, it's got citric acid in it. I said, yeah, it has, but it's like, you know, it's, it's a small amount and it's unlikely to cause you any problems. And if it does, you can stop it. It's like, it's really that simple. What? Um, so go ahead. Sorry, go on. You go. Yeah. I was just going to say, so, you know, there are kind of, things to to that sometimes it's it can be you, you sometimes you're striving for this perfect supplement and and you can get good clean supplements like the tianines and the 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 taurines they're just you know clean supplements that don't have anything in at all in in a pouch and sometimes when you've got stabilization issues i looked at a magnesium supplement with a b vitamin and i just couldn't get it to hold because the the magnesium was like uh not staying stable and causing the um the uh, riboflavin to react and it was just impossible to get that together. So I tried some things, they didn't work. And then I just kind of got to the idea of go, I can keep kind trying to find something that's really novel and stuff. And I think to stick to the basics, what are the things I've looked at with clients? What are the things that I can do to improve liver function, hormone function, and stick with those things, to be honest. Um, and it's too easy to talk to you. I think it's been 40 minutes already. So I do, people wow. <laughs> have really been requesting that we talk about thyroid. So I think you and I are on the same sure. page that thyroid is this really useful supplement. It demands a person's attention. It's not necessarily, it, it, it can be hard to implement, you know? Uh, I, I always recommend reading Hypothyroidism, The Unsuspected Illness by Britta Barnes. Uh, like the more information a person has going into it, usually the better the outcome is. And so I think we align on this, that it's a very valuable supplement in 2022 when we're barrage with uh, chronic, nonstop, intense psychological stress uh, and, and physiolo physiological stress as well. So what, um, you know, your thoughts, December 15th, 2022, and we're not doctors, we're just uh, lay people uh, talking about uh, <laughs> a, a, a hypothetical approach to using th thyroid. But what, what would your, to a hypothetical person or yourself, <laughs> how would you, uh, how do you think about thyroid su supplementation at this moment? 
I, I still think, and I stand by probably what we said, I think almost this time last year, I think it was, yeah, yeah. is that, uh, <laughs> that, that the, the, the dangers of thyroid are vastly overstated. When you look at any of the research, whether it, it, it it's, you know, people still talk, and I think Ray talks about this, how people, you know, say that, you know, too much thyroid hormone will cause your bone to uh, leach calcium. It's like, yes, that's hyperthyroidism. And when you're not getting enough nutrients in, that will be the problem. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like when people go hyperthyroid, if you get someone who's truly hyper and you give them enough nutrients, the negative effects of hyperthyroidism aren't that bad because you keep the calorie maintained, you keep calcium going in, um, you, you're able to kind of deal with that high energy state. Um, but to get to that state from supplementation, I think is quite hard unless you dive in at a, a silly, silly amount. And, you know, that's still why some cardiovascular surgeons think it's prudent to prescribe T3 after a coronary artery bypass graft because you want to enhance oxidation rather than than glycolysis and produce loads of lactate and cause uh, necrotic cell death. So I think I think thyroid supplementation is very very safe. The only danger is, is if you're at immediate risk of a heart attack and you've dived in with three or four grains, you're probably going to have a problem. Yeah. Um, if you're starting with that very very prudent low dose of say a quarter, uh, generally I'd start with a half a grain anyway, or something like that, uh, and and go up slowly. I mean, depending on the person, if I've got someone who's a bit older, I'll start with a quarter of a grain and go upwards. And I think that would that they're obviously hypothetical people. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think it's very it's very kind of useful to understand that from a complexity perspective, maintaining thyroid um, is is still one of the most intelligent things to do. Um, I still think the idea that um, that some of the research where people are looking at, say, centenarians and say, well, they have higher TSH values. And it's like, yeah, because all the other people who you've tried to look at have died. It's like maybe their TSH is also increasing because their thyroid is ultimately failing. Mm-hmm. You know, just you can't just say that, you, you know, that TSH values are a predictive of centenarians. And actually, some of the research suggests actually they have higher T3 values than than people that aren't centenarians. So I, I still think there's a lot of uh, work and um, research and, and discussion to be had around thyroid hormone. And you still see that there are very large communities. Not, I haven't looked at this. I've raised like thyroid UK or, you know, the you know, the big communities that talk about stuff. I don't even ever come across Paul Robinson's stuff. He writes some some good blogs around, you know, uh, why T3 therapy can can be the the uh, a really good place for most people to be in, in, in without even taking T4 sometimes. Uh, and he's written some really good stuff on that and some really good rebuttals to the ideas that, you know, T4 and T3 uh, shouldn't be used together and still the mainstream medicine that levothyroxine is the, the gold standard, which is not. And if you look at the research it, you, and you look at it properly, it won't take you long to come up with the ideas that actually levothyroxine fails a lot of people. I'm sure you've come across this, but something uh, that's happened, maybe it's because I've been talking to more people, but a lot of people have said, hey, I took a small amount of T3 or a mixture, a small um, one to three mixture of T3 and T4, and I had an extreme adrenaline reaction. And so do you have an approach for, or do you have a, uh, something you say to people that experience that? Well, I think t- sometimes timing. So some people might take that on an empty stomach and some people might 
do better if they have it with food and get the absorption down. I think just making sure that you have adequate nutrients, adequate carbs in that can usually avoid that. Um, sometimes people are extremely sensitive. I think sometimes some of the problems boils down to the state of the GI system. Um, it, it might be that, and it's hard to say whether if you've got more of a damage, whether that might go in quicker uh, or whether it might go in slower. It's, it's really hard to tell, but the, 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 the state of other systems might dictate that. Some people have more adrenal reserve than others. Some people don't, but I think sticking to the the basics of getting adequate light, making sure you've got adequate sodium, uh, you know, it, all of these things will, will add up and usually prevent that. And then you've also got the, the, the very basic tenets that some people might take and not need it. Yep. And I think, you know, looking at your temperature and pulse is, 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 is generally, a, it's a reasonable indicator to give you an idea of whether you need it or not. And then there are the confounders that you need working through. And then uh, are you an advocate of getting people to maybe take their, like, have you ever experienced somebody taking thyroid, having a bad experience, getting their cholesterol measured and it was too low? And maybe they were just, they already had low cholesterol and then they're taking thyroid, it's lowering it even more and it's making them feel terrible. Yeah, I, I, I've certainly seen some lower cholesterols. Um, I haven't. Uh, I've often said that they need, probably need to increase that, but you know, usually they've been kind of muddled by the fact that still temperature and pulse has been low, and hypothetically they probably needed more. Uh, and I think sometimes the cholesterol will take time to to pick up again, particularly if it's been being used at a, a, a larger rate. It's not just the thyroid that's obviously an increase in thyroid that's going to drop that down if they're taking too much thyroid, but it may take time for kind of liver function. Uh, cholesterol production just to normalize. So I think in the short term, I wouldn't be worried about it. If it was longer term and it was associated with uh, higher temperatures and pulses, you could probably back off that. And then what what is your thyroid supplement of choice? Like what's the most easily available thing there for, for yourself? Well, I, I Cyanoplast and Cyanomel is, is, is my, still my choice. And I went to order some yesterday and I, I showed you how computer literate and technology literate. I signed up for a blockchain account and managed to lock myself out straight away and lose my funds. Um, oh. and so, so I went to order some and uh, I couldn't get any, but there was, there was plenty in stock. So uh, I still have enough to last me for another six months. So I'm not too worried just yet. Hey, you know, but I, uh, meds.com.mx they just a few days yeah. ago said hey we have sinoplus and sinomel and as far as i know yeah. you only need to wire transfer the money you don't need to use because you were trying to get like a uh, bitcoin right or, or yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah i don't think you have to send uh, meds.com.mx bitcoin i think you can wire money to them right okay that's good to know i was trying to just <laughs> it was a bad day yesterday um <laughs> Um, but I also kind of uh, lean heavily on on Georgie supplements for clients, uh, Tyromix, Tyronine. Um, I think there were some issues at, at some point with the Tyromax, but they, I think they've resolved themselves now. The, the one thing uh, I, I've consistently seen, especially with that T3, is the dose is very big. It's like eight micrograms per drop. And so yeah. I, I think Georgie is doing that for liability reasons because there's another company that has an eight microgram product. But I wish it was like one microgram per drop because yeah. that would make life so much easier because I think I think for a sensitive person and they take eight micrograms in a liquid and it, it absorbs like instantaneously, it might make them really uh, be sensitized to adrenaline. And they might feel yeah. really bad doing that. Yeah, but I've had a, a, a hypothetical older client who's been taking that and she's been tolerating that really well and needs to up the dose. So I think, again, going back to each person and their particular sensitivity. But yeah, even if it was half of that, right, would be would be better. 
um, because obviously um, I, 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 do, I do think some people can be sensitive and titrating very, very slow and carefully can, can, can avoid that generally. I've rarely had the high adrenaline with, with clients. Uh, I think I told you last time that I did have a client once who just totally ignored what I said and she took a bottle of Tyramix and, and, and nailed it within a week. Um, uh, she was like taking 10 grains a day from nothing to 10. <laughs> and she, she got that hyper, like she goes, I think my heart rate's increasing. I said, what did she goes 150 beats a minute? And I said, how much have you taken? I said, three drops. She said, Oh, I thought you said three squirts. And oh, like, God. just like, <laughs> and she was gone. And to be honest, she followed the advice, got it to slow down. And it was kind of back down within to, to, to under 90 within three days. So the, the, a, a young, healthy girl at 30, 32, 33, a hypothetical girl. And she kind of dealt with that very, very, very uh, quickly. I mean, and I think that just kind of, irons out the fact that you can't that you you need to be in a fragile system for it to have very negative effects and you need to go in with a higher dose but generally as a rule of thumb it's very very manageable it's very very safe and i think you're probably safer than than going in with most meds sometimes that uh tend to have a, a, a plethora of side effects okay let's get to some of these minutes uh okay 50 minutes um let's get to some of these super chats because i think they cover some topics that i was going to ask you um, okay, can uh explain why T4 subs can be this was from Javier. Explain why T4 subs can be tough on the liver. Could taking too much T4 increase prolactin? Is a lower dose of T4 a viable way to lower prolactin? Well, I think, and there was a study that came out, I think 2020, that showed that long term levothyroxine users were, were kind of more prone to fibrosis, um, and it can have an effect on via a receptor. Uh, which I think was the integrin VB receptor that kind of interacts with F-actin and, and creates this kind of fibrotic state. But I think that's just generally that the rule is that an excess of T4, if your liver can't handle it, will kind of have to deal with degrading it, right? Um, and it's it's like anything that's in excess. So this is why I still think having adequate T4 and T3 is useful. Uh, it's probably why the reason why a lot of levothyroxine users don't report or, or tend to have less positive effects sometimes than than kind of say NDT or or kind of dual therapy. So I I, I think it's uh, yeah it, to answer the question I, I think it could be a problem if it was taken on its own. Though, to be fair, you get some people who take levothyroxine and say they're absolutely fine. Yeah. But again, sometimes you you could be applying that to, to you, you get a bunch of people going through the medical system who are given T4 and from where they were, it's it's almost like night and day. But then, you know, what's the long term? Are they dealing with it? Well, it's the kind of liver processing it. Are they kind of lending to fibrosis? What's their diet like? I mean, all, all these things, again, that you need to consider. Yeah, I did see a paper uh, maybe talking about ACTH and prolactin and that just the T4 alone suppressed it, at least acutely. And so, of course, that'd make a person feel better. If they're suppressing their yeah. pituitary, they'll probably feel like a million bucks, at least for a little while. <laughs> and, yeah, and then the I accumulation mean, yeah. might cause a lot of problems. Yeah, I mean, TRH will generally sensitize to prolactin anyway, uh, the pituitary to produce more prolactin. So cutting back on, on the on, on the hypothalamic production of TRH will be, I think, a bonus. And it kind of lends itself back to raise old ideas about kind of removing the pituitary. And I think just generally keeping growth hormone and prolactin relatively lower are going to be beneficial for most people. Good old WD Denkla and AV Everett. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, you're the only person that would know that. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's go to Ash, and he says, "How does Ramadan fasting affect thyroid health, especially women who have underactive thyroid hypothyroidism? Tips to counteract the negative effects." Thank you. Um, well, certainly, it, there's some literature in some uh, Muslim countries where they've kind of looked at that, and the recommendation is that those on medication. Uh, pregnant females and children should not be taking, uh, should not be fasting. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm working with a, with a client in the Middle East at the moment who doesn't fast because it's made her very sick in the past. Uh, and potentially there's a, a, a an underactive thyroid that we're kind of uh, working through. And I think that makes sense because obviously we know that fasting will suppress T3. Um, it's interesting because um, some of the adaptations of that you see in comparative literature, fasting and kind of cold exposure are kind of lumped in with the same effects of PTSD um, and, um, and long-term stresses. So I, I, I still think it's the idea that can you fast? Yes. Should you fast? Well, I think if you're prone to overeating, fasting might be a good strategy because it just gives you a system to work to. Um, but generally as a, as a rule of thumb, autophagy, you know, mitochondrial biogenesis are kind of maintained best when your thyroid works efficiently. Um, and I think generally those who kind of, uh, function well when they've kind of fasted are probably more the people that are prone to overeating. And I don't think necessarily you're going to see all these centenarians. If you interview most centenarians, they're not probably going to have listed CrossFit, fasting, cold water baths in the, in their kind of health and fitness regime. How do you know that, Keith? <laughs> and just a guess. Just a guess. Okay. Uh, Hage Gun 48 uh, just sent us $5. Thank you so much. Um, this is a joke. Uh, ask Keith... It, is ask Keith is he is Tomo and his B requirement just uh, don't even don't even worry about that one. Okay, What's, here's, what was that? I do. It's like an inside joke or something. I don't. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> uh, Hogan forty eight sends us another ten dollars and say, what if you wake up with a temperature of ninety seven to ninety seven point three and pulse of seventy five in the morning, but for most of the day you're ninety eight point six to ninety eight point eight and the pulse is eighty five for most of the day. Mm, I don't think that's necessarily going to be a bad thing. But, uh, okay, so they're waking up with a little bit of a lower temperature and pulse rate, but couldn't, so I'm sure you've experienced this. Uh, I, I, I have talked to lots of people that had lots of uh, obvious stress manifestation symptoms, and they'll be like, you know, I measured my temperature. It was, it was over 98.6. It was o over 37. And then their pulse is like 85 to 90. And so what would you yeah. think of in that situation? Well, it depends. Again, it's, it's really, it depends kind of thing. I think, you know, if people, I, I've also got no problem with pulse being 85 to 90. And if they're feeling good, that, that's okay. But, but couldn't that be a sign that their adrenaline and cortisol is like through the roof? Yeah, it could be. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it, could, it really does depend on the person. Is it associated with negative symptoms, though? Or how are they feeling? Do, do they feel relatively organized, able to grasp the day, focus on tasks, you know, feel good? Uh, so I think it depends on what the symptoms that someone's experiencing. Could it be associated with increased adrenaline and, and cortisol? Yes, it, absolutely. Um, but again, you'd need to ask the person directly how they feel with that. I've got no no problem with people sitting slightly over 37 um, uh, or, or 98.6. But I think still general, the general window of 36.5 or 97.8 on waking to, to, to 98.6 or, or 37 after a feed 
Um, I think if the, if the pulse was kind of coming in in the lower 60s, then I'd probably want to maybe address that. Uh, and I think if the temperature it's slightly outside, um, and again, without knowing the, the function of the person, it's difficult to say whether it's negative or not. But again, I think striving for a, uh, the, the 97.8 might be something to work on. But again, if they're kind of uh, responding with this, what might be perceived as a high adrenaline, high cortisol, what's the diet like? You know, all the usual usual suspects we would be considering. I feel you. But when you're saying, hey, I'm uncomfortable with the higher temperature or the, the higher pulse rate, that that usually is when a person is taking thyroid, right? Like if, if a person's yeah. not taking thyroid and they just have a really high pulse rate and temperature, it's like usually not, they're not going to have, and they have symptoms, they're not going to yeah. be like high thyroid people, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, if if it is the adrenaline that's the issue, then you know I think you'd be working on your kind of adrenaline lowering responses. But again, how's their diet with that? How can you? It's difficult to tell what's going on. Is, are we just saying that the temperature and the the pulse rate is slightly elevated? I'm, I was reading this. Did you ask me? Can you ask me that again? <laughs> no, I was just saying that it. it You'd have to you'd have to look at the diet and everything to understand what's going on with the person. Feel um, because you know if you're saying the temperature's running higher, I mean, I, it, I I find it a really difficult question to ask without knowing everything that the person has going for them. Fair enough. I feel you. Um, I wanted to ask you about what what do you feel about uh, Ray's kind of final protein revelation? I I, I don't know why, but I've been thinking about this a lot. Like that. I thought it was very uncharacteristic. I mean, I've said this before. I thought it was uncharacteristic. I thought it fit technically within his whole schematic that he's been he's been working on for a long time. And he's obviously been very anti-methionine, cysteine, and tryptophan for, I think he wrote that article in 2006, you know? So it's not a, right. new, a new thing. But uh, even, I don't know if you heard our last uh, uh, live stream with him, but I was I was framing it like, hey, you changed your mind. You're... You're saying under 50 grams is like this this thing that can be useful when I've ne I've never heard that before, and to to him it, it seemed like I was framing it completely incorrectly, and to him it was like within the normal scope of of how he viewed things, and so I, and I kind of think like before Ray passed, that's like the last kind of like <laughs> revelatory the thing that he was working on was the protein. And it makes me think about cysteine and methionine and tryptophan in a way that I hadn't previously like, oh, maybe these were like way more important to lower than I had ever thought about because he, 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 before he died, this was like really important to him. And so maybe I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, but I was just curious if you had any thoughts on it. Well, I, <laughs> It's it's one of those things, isn't it? I, I think he probably went too low uh, with protein. Maybe that would have been uh, could have went ne gone negatively against him. I mean, difficult to say, right? It's again, the the guy was eighty six. He was still eight years older than than the average person who passes in in the US. Um, I never expected him to kind of live on to be a, this like Jean Calmont or anyone like that. He was he was somebody who was he was practical. He probably came to his own his kind of other ideas later on in life. You know, so he might have reached his actual true genetic potential. And there are so many other things to consider with that. So I think he still did really well. But I think I think he probably went too low with protein. I, I think still methionine and cysteine are still essential to, to life. Um, I think there's probably a sweet spot there. Um, it, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what he was 
kind of trying i mean it's it's sort of like, like saying what we're saying here is it did did they did was that really important for his kind of where he was physiologically at the time and i think he tried going slightly lower protein did he did he not go back up with it though I'm really sketchy on the details. It, it, it from our interview with him, it sounded like he couldn't get it any lower than fifty. Like he'd go even lower, but uh, like grape juice had more protein that he thought it would, or or something like it was. It was hard to just wow, get okay. enough food without getting fifty grams of protein or, or so. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just, I think potentially looking. I mean. There, I think it's again. It's that sweet spot. We know that methionine and, and cysteine can have quite negative effects, and 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 tryptophan, right? So, I, I think that there is a sweet spot, and maybe that's individual for each person. Maybe kind of daily uh, exercise needs is also uh, a part of that. Could you know maybe looking at, at, at maintaining strength and muscle mass would have been exceptionally important as well and with that you do require a certain amount of the amino acids and i think being subjective about that within disease states as, as an older person um i i i, I it becomes really difficult to, to answer i think it becomes very subjective again but again what what are the what are the exact amounts of those i don't know yeah, I, I guess I think about it so much because maybe in 2020, I was like, Ray, if you hypothetically were going to eat some beef, would you balance it with calcium? Would you drink coffee or would you balance it with gelatin? And he said uh, his first thing he would do is balance it with calcium, then drink coffee and then gelatin. And so that's like the least important thing. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then later... So, so again, I don't want to speculate too much, but I, I find it to be kind of fascinating. That's like, that was the, one of the last things that he was really into. And maybe if he could do it over again, he would have spent more, more time going low protein. I like, I have no idea. We can't ask him, but. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, potentially you could, could, like I said, could have gone too low. I mean, the, yeah. the last experiment, right? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's an interesting one. Okay. Uh, you have to go soon. So, uh, or in like, like. Three minutes. Okay, maybe I should just cut it here. Um, do you have, let everybody know where they can find you on the internet. Uh, shout out your, uh, here's your website, balanced body balance. Um, I'm sorry, balanced body mind. That's it. And then Tomo Littlewood, uh, the Instagram, and you are prolific on there. So much great information. Um, what else? Uh, that's it, really. I try not to spread myself too much. I don't have much else to say. Um, I just uh, so busy with things as usual, juggling everything. So that's generally where I'm at. Um, I am. I have started doing a bit more on Twitter, but I find it quite dull going into Twitter and seeing all those opinions everywhere. And I just kind of, I, I usually say something, no, nobody responds to it. And then I just shut, <laughs> shut it down for a week or so. And then go, maybe I should try again. And then I go, no, I can't be bothered. Yeah, you have to have like the thickest skin ever to navigate on Twitter frequently because yeah. uh, you'll find stuff you don't like uh, about yourself pretty often. But um, hey, Keith, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, I, I changed the time on you for this and you were uh, a sport about it. So I really appreciate you. Um, again, have a, a great uh holiday with your family christmas whatever you celebrate yeah uh, well uh good luck with your chickens they require so a lot of tlc and uh looking after so uh it's it's like i said it's like having your own family appreciate it brother uh stay on the line hey, hey all the viewers thank you guys so much we have another generative energy with nick stumphauser at 6 p.m so that should be really fun and that's going to be on rumble 
And so I'll send the link on my Telegram if you're interested in watching that. Keith, thank you so much. Really appreciate you, uh, your genius. Thank you so much. Thank you to all the viewers of this show. And we'll see you guys later at 6 p.m. tonight. Okay, bye everyone.